So in this clip from Johnny English, which is a pretty great film, by the way, if you haven't watched it, uh, our protagonist, Mr. English, inserts his foot into his mouth when he mistakes billionaire Pascal Sauvage for a waiter, saying some unpleasant, if maybe true, things about the French in the process. English is embarrassed and hilarity ensues, but all of us can learn a lesson from Johnny English. We can learn a lesson about the importance of making sure we understand who it is that we're talking to before we make fools of ourselves. Because who we're communicating with oftentimes dictates how we interact with that person. Perhaps you have an experience like this, where you said or did something and you thought you were saying it to one person, but you were actually saying it to someone else. Or maybe you missed an opportunity because you misidentified the person that you were talking to. I remember when I was in England, I was grocery shopping one week, and as I was shopping, I noticed out of the corner of my eye this guy walking around the grocery store who had some people following him. And I didn't think much about it. He walked down my eye, like focused intently on the apples that I was gonna buy for the week and let him walk by. And then I checked out, and when I went outside, I realized that he was still there. He was outside and that a crowd had gathered around him. And as I walked by, I looked and I realized that this guy was Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron. One of the most powerful people in the world had walked down my grocery store aisle, and because I thought he was just some random guy, I missed the opportunity to introduce myself or say hi or get tackled by his security. Any of those things would have been great. I misidentified who he was, and so I missed this opportunity. And obviously, that's not what we want to do in life. Correctly identifying who sets us up to understand how we should interact with someone. We need to understand who so that we know how. And what's true in, of life in general is also true when it comes to Jesus. We need to understand who Jesus is so that we interact with him in the right way, so that we understand how we should treat him. And that is the topic of our current series here at Rooftop, which is called Summer in the Sun, where we are taking a deep dive into the names of Jesus so that we can understand who he is, how we should interact with him, why it matters, and what all that means for us. So we're digging into who Jesus is. And last, uh, two weeks ago rather, Pastor Matt introduced us to the series. He talked about how Jesus uh, is the Son of God. Last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about how Jesus is Lord. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be going through the names of Jesus, trying to understand who he is and how we should respond to him. Now, in the Gospels, in the books in the Bible that tell us about the life of Jesus, Jesus actually asks this question that we're wrestling with. He asks, who am I? And his disciples provide an answer. And in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they provide the same answer. And this is a, uh, a really important thing if three of the Gospels are going to talk about it. So actually, let's look together at Mark chapter 8 at this account of Jesus asking his disciples who he is. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, 
he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he asks them a question, and they say, Peter, the boldest and most vocal of the apostles, gives this name for Jesus. He says, you are the Christ. And in the Gospels, Jesus goes on to confirm, yes, Peter, yes, this is, this is who I am. This is an important name. Uh, but we need to pause for a moment. And we need to think about what this name means. Right? What is Peter saying when he says that Jesus is the Christ? And it's actually really important that we take some time to think this name through this morning, because for most of us, this is a really common name attached to Jesus. Many of us know Jesus as Jesus Christ. Christ is one of the most common names for Jesus in the New Testament, appearing over 500 times. In fact, it's such an important name for Christ that the followers of Jesus, many of us in this room, we use this name to describe ourselves, right? We're not Jesusites. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ, right? That's what that name means, a follower of Christ. In fact, some people so closely identify Jesus and Christ that, and maybe you're one of these people, they think it's Jesus' last name. I had a coworker once who was convinced that Jesus' full legal name was Jesus H. Christ. He'd say it all the time. He thought Jesus was around constantly because he was constantly saying Jesus H. Christ. But Christ isn't actually Jesus' last name. In fact, in Jesus' time, people didn't have last names, at least not the way that you and I have last names. No, in fact, Christ is a title for Jesus. If you think about how Peter says this, this makes sense, right? Peter says, you are the Christ. It's a title for Jesus. So what does Christ mean? Well, Christ is an English word for a Greek word, Christos. And Christos means anointed. So when Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ, he's really saying, Jesus, you are the anointed one. Well, you may be thinking, that's all fine and good. Thanks, Jacob. One term I don't know about for another. What on earth does it mean to be anointed? Well, in the Old Testament, the, part, the first part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, someone who was anointed was someone who had a special office often a priest or a king. An anointed one was someone who had been commissioned and approved for a special purpose or task. All right? And so what you would do when you anointed someone is you would take actually a clay jar, not this nice little manufactured bottle of oil. You would take that and you would pour it on the head of the person you were anointing. I am now anointed. And when you did that, that would signify the special role, the special office that that person had been called to. Now, I used to attend a church where we would anoint missionaries. Yeah, that was a lot. That was way more than first service. Anyone else want to be anointed? I can come. 
All right, so in a church I used to go to, we would anoint people with not that much oil uh, when they were missionaries, right? Uh, they, would, we, they would come forward and we say, okay, Tim is going to China and Alex is going to Indonesia and we would anoint them with oil and we would pray for them and we would send them out to the special work that they had, right? And we anointed them to say, hey, this is what you're doing. This is the special work that you have been called to. And this is how anointing worked in biblical times. You would anoint someone for a special work. Now, in the Old Testament, when you anointed someone, uh, you would call them the Mashiach. And that word is one that you and I are actually familiar with. Mashiach in Hebrew is Messiah in English. A Messiah is an anointed one. And we're going to talk more about what the Messiah means in a minute, but first I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. So we have three terms. We have Messiah, we have Christ, and we have anointed, and they all mean the same thing. John 1.41 actually makes this clear. An early follower of Jesus comes and he says, hey, we found the Messiah. And then John, the writer of the gospel, editorially adds, which means the Christ. Right? So they're, identif they're easily identifiable. Now, uh, the reason we miss this sometimes is because we're dealing with three different languages. Right? There's a Greek word, Christ, there's a Hebrew word, uh, Messiah, and there's an English word, anointed. And so it's easy for us to think those are three different things, but in reality, they all are talking about the same concept. So when Jesus says, I'm sorry, when Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ, he's not just taking some random name and applying it to Jesus. He's being very specific. He's being very technical. He's saying, Jesus, you are the Christ. Jesus, you are the Messiah. Jesus, you are the anointed one. You have this special role from God. Is that clear to everyone? Are you all with me? This means yes, this means no. All right. Because I will stop right here if we need to re re make sure that's not uh, clear to everyone. All right? Everyone good? All right. So, we'll continue on with Mark 8 then. So, in this passage... Jesus, in good rabbinic form, and Pastor Matt is going to explain, explain what a rabbi is next week. In good rabbinic form, Jesus is asking his disciples questions, right? He wants them to make sure that they know the right answers. They, he wants to make sure that they know who he is. And so he asks them two versions of this question, who am I? And in response to that, the disciples provide two answers. The first option is that Jesus is the latest in a long line of those looking for the Messiah. Jesus is the latest in a long line of those looking for a Messiah. And the second option is that Jesus is the anticipated anointed one who is altering reality. Jesus is the anticipated anointing one who is altering reality. So let's actually look at both of these options a little bit more. Option one is that Jesus is the latest in a long line of those looking for a Messiah. Right? This is what other people think. This is what the disciples report other people think in verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, who do people say I am? That is, who do other people say I am? And the disciples say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, Jesus, and other people think you're Elijah, and other people think that you're one of the prophets. That is, people thought that Jesus wasn't this Messiah. He wasn't this anointed person. He was someone pointing toward the Messiah, 
right? He was a prophet. Now, God, in the Bible, prophets are God's people who deliver God's messages, often with future implications, right? They're looking forward to something in the future. And there are lots of prophets in the Bible. Elijah is an important prophet uh, who was in the Old Testament and who a different prophet, Malachi, said uh, would actually come again before Jesus, uh, before the Messiah appeared. John the Baptist was a prophet in Jesus' day. There are lots of prophets, right? And the people, the other people in Jesus' day think that Jesus is just one of those prophets. Well, why do they think that? Well, you see, among God's people, there is this long history of waiting. Way back at the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth, and then shortly thereafter, people screw it up. We screw the pooch. We goof. We ruin God's perfect creation. And God says, all right, I'll fix it. Just give me a minute. And thus begins God's people. Uh, this begins the wait of God's people. They're waiting for God to intervene in the world through this Messiah. From, the, from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Malachi, most of the Old Testament, thousands of years go by and God's people are waiting. They are waiting for God to intervene and to send his Messiah to fix what's wrong with the world. And as people wait, they come up with all these ideas about what the Messiah is going to do. Right? Some of them think that uh, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to restore creation. He's going to fix everything to the way, uh, the way it should be. But other people think that the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to restore the kingdom, the monarchy that was destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. Some people think that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to restore Israel to their place of purity in the world. And others think that the Messiah is going to be very political. He's going to come and he's going to throw off the tyranny of the Romans and fix everything. But Whatever people thought about the Messiah, they were waiting. They were hopeful. They wanted God to again intervene in the world through his Messiah. And Jesus, they thought, was just the latest in a long line of people pointing towards that Messiah. Now, I have a friend I have a friend who, toward the end of her pregnancy, experienced a lot of false labor. Men, you all know what false labor is, right? It's the contractions that a woman has when it's not actually time to have the baby, but feel like it is. And so this friend had a lot of false labor. She would start having contractions, she would drop what she was doing, she would grab her bag, she would take her husband and run off to the hospital, and they'd get to the hospital and they would be told, no, it's not time for your baby yet, right? Go home. Keep waiting. And this happened several times. Contractions would start. She'd get in the car. She'd go to the hospital. Nope. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. And this friend, as excited as she was that at some point her baby was going to be born, got a little tired of false labor. And for people in Jesus' day, that's what he was. He seemed like false labor. He seemed like just another reminder that God was going to do this thing off in the future. He was just another reminder that the Messiah was eventually going to be here. But Jesus wasn't the Messiah. 
he was just the latest in a long line of those looking for the Messiah. That's what a lot of people in Jesus' day thought about him. But of course, that's not enough. It's not enough to just think of Jesus as false labor. It's not enough to think of Jesus as just a prophet. There's much more there. Jesus isn't just a, a teacher or someone who's, who's delivering general life truths. There's actually much more to who Jesus is, and that's our second option. Because the second option that the disciples uh, give is that Jesus is the anticipated anointed one who is altering reality. He's the anticipated anointed one who's altering reality. This is what Peter talks about. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And in that simple statement, there is so much meaning. Jesus is the anticipated anointed one who is altering reality. He's the anticipated anointed one. All of those hopes from God's people, all of the expectations about who the Messiah was, all the hopes that the Messiah would fix what was wrong in the world, all of that is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus comes and he changes things. He is God's promised one. He is from God and he is doing the special work that God has given him. He is the anticipated anointed one. And beyond that, he is altering reality. Things are different because of Jesus, Peter says. Eventually, Christians will come to understand that because the anointed one dies, everyone who follows him can live. Death no longer has to be the final word. No longer do our relationships have to be poisoned by sin. Yes, sin and death still linger, but their power has been broken. Jesus has come, and he is altering reality. Peter, the guy who says, makes this confession about Jesus, actually gives a sermon in the book of Acts. Acts is the history of the early church. And in this sermon, he explains how Jesus does this great work. He says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That is, Jesus, it's because of Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection, that God has made him both Lord, which Pastor Jeremy explained last week means master. God has made him both Lord and Christ, the anointed, the Messiah. You see, Jesus is in charge of things. He's Lord, he's master, but he's also fixing things. He has been, God has given him the special purpose of redeeming the world, of taking what was broken and fixing it, of saving people who are lost. The story of Scripture says that Jesus' death and resurrection have given him control over our reality. Now, as many of you know, and as all of you should know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are these things called Infinity Stones. They're called Infinity Stones because they control the way the universe works. And one of these stones is the Reality Stone, and it's called the Reality Stone because it controls reality. 
And when you control reality, you can control how people perceive things, like Thanos is here, and you can control how matter is constituted. And the parallel here is this, that because of his death and resurrection, Jesus now controls the reality stone in our universe. He is able to remake the cosmos. He is able to remake reality. He can alter what is broken. He can fix things. He can save what is broken and lost. That's the story of Scripture, that what humans broke in the beginning, the anointed one is going to come and fix. And that is the message of Christianity, that the anointed one has come, and he is fixing what is wrong with our world. And he began that with his death and resurrection, and he's going to finish that in the future. And in the meantime, people who follow the anointed one can help him. We can come alongside him and enjoy the good work that he is doing. And that brings us to our key question for this morning. Have you correctly identified who Jesus is? Have you correctly identified who Jesus is? Because remember, you have to get the who right in order to understand how you should interact with him. Have you correctly understood who Jesus is? Maybe you're here this morning and option one is where you're at. You think Jesus is the latest in a long line of those looking for the Messiah, or at least you think Jesus is an important historical figure who had some interesting things to say. Maybe you think that Jesus, uh, along with Buddha and Gandhi and Muhammad, is giving general truth to the world in order to help us become more enlightened. Maybe you think Jesus is just the latest in a long line of those looking for the Messiah. And if that's you this morning, I want to say, don't underestimate who Jesus is. Don't think of him as just some historical figure or some guy who had some important things to say. Don't make Johnny English's mistake. Don't misunderstand someone really important for a waiter. Don't rest easy with half the truth. There is no greater mistake in life than to underestimate who Jesus is. So make sure you know who he is so that you can know how to respond to him. Make sure you recognize that Jesus is the anticipated anointed one who is altering reality. Now, most of you here this morning are firmly in the option two camp, right? Jesus is the Christ. You can affirm that. At least you can affirm that intellectually. And if that's you this morning, I want to leave you with some questions, some things I hope that you think about for more than just the next 10 seconds. And chief among those questions is this. How is Jesus, the anticipated anointed one, altering your reality? How is Jesus, the anticipated anointed one, altering your reality? If Jesus is the reality-altering Christ, he should be altering your reality. He should be making a difference in your life. James chapter 2 says that if you have faith, if you believe something, 
but it doesn't make a difference in your life if it's not tangible through works. It's worthless. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and it doesn't make a difference in your life, that doesn't seem to be enough. How does the fact that Jesus is the anticipated anointed one who is altering reality make a difference for you? How does the fact that Jesus is the Christ impact how you treat your coworkers? How does it influence how you treat your neighbors? Can your spouse tell that Jesus is the Christ in your life? Can your kids? How can you live the fact, how can you show the fact that Jesus is the Christ in your life? Because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you can't just say it. You have to live it. Peter, the guy who says these things about Jesus, who preaches this sermon in Acts, he didn't just say Jesus was the Christ. He lived it. And he died it on a cross because he believed it so firmly. Don't just say that Jesus is the Christ. Live it. And if you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, if you're still wrestling with this Christianity thing, if you're just not certain what you believe yet, that's okay. But I want to challenge you. Don't get through this summer without really encountering the sun. Don't get through this summer without really encountering the sun. And if you want to talk more today about what it means that Jesus is the Christ, about what it means to follow him, I would love to talk with you either down front here during our response song or in the back afterwards. Don't get through the summer without really encountering the sun. Hear this good news, Rooftop. The God of the universe sent his unique son, the Lord Jesus the Christ, as the anticipated anointed one to alter our reality. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son to be your anticipated anointed one who is altering our reality. Thank you for your promise to save and to redeem that which was broken in our world and for your faithfulness in sending the Messiah. Father, thank you for sending Jesus as your anointed one, the one who had this special job of breaking the power of sin and death, and this job of fixing all that is broken in our lives and in our world. Father, thank you for giving Jesus the power to alter reality as difficult as that may be for us to, to see and believe sometimes. Give us the, the vision and the power to join with him in his work. Father, we ask for the strength to show those around us that Jesus is the Christ through what we say, through what we do, through how we treat others. And Father, help those who do not yet believe in your Son Give them the discernment and the wisdom to follow him 
Thank you for our summer sun, Lord. And it is in his name that we pray.